Commissioner Alicia Reese is the founder and creator of Cincinnati's new Black Music Walk of Fame located at the Banks. We spoke to Commissioner Reese about what inspired her to create this monument to Cincinnati music and the impact she hopes it has on its visitors. This is the West End Stories Project Presents. All right, so I already know that you're from Cincinnati, but um, I wanted to ask, is your family originally from Cincinnati? Yes, my family is, um, except my grandmother. Uh, my mother's mom, she's from the South. and uh, But my whole life, my mother and my father, Cincinnati. My mother um, grew up in the West End, the old West End, when it was referred to as the Projects. And my um, father uh, grew up in uh, Avondale, South Avondale. So, but yeah, they're both from Cincinnati. And I was born and raised here. I've been here all my life, uh, except for when I went to college. I went to Grambling State University down south, and uh, I really loved that experience, uh, but then returned back home. Gotcha. So you said your grandmother, was it your mom's mother? Yes, my mother's mom. And where was she from in the South? Yeah, she was from the South, uh, around in the Florida area and uh, sometimes Alabama. And uh, she came up here. My mother was born here, so she came up here with my older aunts. Uh, but then my mother uh, is a twin. So they they were very well known in uh, the West End as the twins. I still run into people now, like the twins. So they were known as Bobby and Pat in the in the uh, West End as the twins. They were the babies, and they were born here. Okay. And then your, now your father's family, none of them migrated? Um, I'm told that the Reese name, that we started with an S, um, but then in North Carolina, it was changed to a C. And that's how, so they kind of migrated from uh, North Carolina area to Cincinnati. But both his parents, my grandfather and my grandmother, uh, they were born and raised in Cincinnati, and so was my father. Now, did they have roots in the West End as well? Um, my understanding is that my grandfather's family may have had some roots there, but uh, they were mostly in the South Avondale uh, area is when, you know, my dad really remembers growing up. And so it was interesting because back then it was interesting how the two of them met because uh, when you were from, uh, he went to Withrow, and she went to Taft. And back then, uh, you couldn't go into certain neighborhoods. And it was like, you know, what are you doing down here in the West End? And what are you doing in Avondale? Uh, but he played basketball. He was well-known. And because of the music, a lot of people knew him. And so he was uh, he got a pass to be able to come down there and date a woman from the West End. So a lot of people tell me all the time, like, we let him come and steal your mother away from us. <laughs> Wow, that's interesting. So both of your parents were um, super accomplished entrepreneurs, public servants, musicians, and so much more. Um, what was it like growing up in a household with them? So one of the things I really love about uh, my parents is that they always shared stories, and it was like in the house. So we so I feel like I've known them before I was here. I got to hear the stories of how they met. Um, my father was a rep for Motown. He was the advance person in Cincinnati for folks when they come to Cincinnati. He would have to do the advance work for Motown because Mr. Gordy was very particular. And so uh, he really met Motown through uh, my great uncle uh, because he knew someone who uh, was a secretary at Motown. And so he took my father when he was in high school to Detroit. And when my father saw that and seeing a a black-owned entrepreneur, Mr. Gordy, and all of his operations. He said, I want to go into, you know, this business. I want to be an entrepreneur. So at the time, he thought he wanted to be in the music industry. So that's how he got that position. And so uh, then he started a program called Operation Step Up. He wrote it, uh, I believe he's like 21 years old. It was, uh, they had riots here, in the course, in the 60s. And he thought this would be a way to get bring people together get them out through music. And so he wrote this program called Operation Step Up, and he ran into uh, 
Mayor Ruhlman at the time was the mayor of Cincinnati. And he told him about this idea, but he didn't think he would go with it. And Mayor Ruhlman said, this is what we need. Uh, because we didn't have talent shows back then. So this was the first like talent show, traveling talent show. He always says this was before American Idol. And um, he would go and get people from the West End, from Avondale, different places. We had all these great people who were singing, but they were singing on their porches. And he uh, had this show, you would uh, compete and uh, you'd be able to win some cash. But then also uh, he had a program, I think through Xavier, where you could get training and, and then possibly go on to college. Well, one of the um, competitions was down at Taft High School. My father had Red Fox as the MC. Wow. And my mother uh, showed up, but her band did not show up. And my father said, well, no, you can't go on. We're not doing acapella. You don't have your band. And uh, a lot of people in the audience, they used to call her baby Aretha. Aretha Franklin was her idol, and they thought she had a similar voice. Mm -hmm. And so they said, you got to let her go. And my dad said, no, she knows the rules. You know, she signed up with the band. Well, Red Fox said, man, give her a chance. Let her go ahead and, you know, go on out there. The people shouting for her, let her go. So he let her oh. perform. And uh, when I'm told, he heard the voice, and it was like, whoa. And so they would later go on and uh, get married and uh, have me. And uh, she recorded a self-titled album. My father wanted to have an independent label, so he wanted to become what Barry Gordy, mm -hmm. you know, had done. But he wanted to do it in Cincinnati, so he had his own label, um, Steve Reese Productions. And he went into the studio with a live band and everything and uh, recorded and he wrote some of the songs and my mother Barbara Howard on the rise was the album and still to this day people talk about how meticulous he was about the album cover and how it you know how it looks high quality it didn't look like a just an independent label and you got to remember back then independent label it's not like it is, you know, today it was hard. There was no social media to help you get out there. You had to really hustle, and it was hard to get distribution deals. <laughs> so uh, just all of what he put into this album and the sound and the sound quality and everything, people to this day say, you know, he really was ahead of his time. And so my mother would perform on uh, national TV, and she was on the David Frost show and some other popular shows. Upbeat was kind of similar to Soul Train back in those days. Mm. And I would just see my mom, you know, getting her outfits and getting ready to, you know, perform. And it just became like normal. And uh, at the Cincinnati Music Festival, which is what it's called today, it was called the uh, Ohio Valley Jazz Festival. Well, my father uh, was involved. That was one of their companies. Mm. Uh, uh, contracts and so I would go to the music festivals because I didn't go to babysitters I went with my parents and they would say sit here be quiet and don't be that was their whole thing sit here don't be quiet and don't be seen in other words be, you know don't let anyone know you're here because you're you're a baby you're young you're not supposed to be here but I would I didn't know what I was watching or listening to but I'm like in the room I'm there I'm on the stage I'm watching all of this process go on um, and so it really did uh, impact me. Uh, they would go on to, my father was very instrumental in working with Dino Santangelo, who is mm -hmm. the uh, founder of this Ohio Valley Jazz Festival, him and a gentleman by the name of George Ween. And George Ween was really big. Into, he just recently died. But he was like Mr. Jazz. And I remember with the festival, they wanted to go from jazz to R&B. And they sent my father, I remember him being at the living room trying to write the proposals because they asked him to go along to help convince Mr. Ween to go from jazz to R&B, that mm -hmm. that was the future. And Mr. Ween, is, they said, there's no way, this is as Mr. Jazz. But he went and they were able to convince Mr. Ween to go with uh, R&B, and that's mm -hmm. why we have the R&B format. That year, I remember going to the music fest. And my mother always, we always had our color co color coded outfits because when you went to the festival, it was all about the outfits. I mean, we had people from out of town that you would look for the next year, like the the twins from Louisville. They had, I mean, they came one time with a whole derby outfit. I mean, these outfits were incredible. <laughs> so my mother always made sure, you know, we had the color coded outfit, and um, 
I remember going and they were like tickets. This was at a riverfront stadium mm-hmm. and uh, tickets had just, I mean, they hit, you know, and I remember my father was excited. Like the tickets went, I mean, it worked, it worked. And so we got excited to go there, but unfortunately Mr. Dino took a swim in his backyard. He was so excited, took a swim in the backyard and he had a heart attack and died. Mm. So it became a sad, it was packed, but it was kind of sad because we they had to talk about Mr. Dino. He didn't get to really see it break through. So for me, just the music festival, it's like uh, in my DNA. We have to go every year. We, we go as a family. Uh, you know, my mother and father used to sell ticket blocks, so they would always have groups that always came all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother and sister, we all had this, you know, color outfit. Mom does not let us go without, you know, coming right. And it just became a family affair. So all these things growing up, uh, Bootsy being around, uh, I'm hanging in studios with my parents. They go on to have an advertising agency called Commuterplex. They got out of the uh, being an artist because it was so tough for an African-American to be able to play in the best places. You got to remember, it's the Chitlin circuit. It's singing with your back turned to the people. Some places you still couldn't go and stay in a nice hotel. Mm-hmm. So they decided that this was not going to be for them because now they have a family. Mm-hmm. And so they switched it into an advertising agency where you were writing jingles. Um, and I remember one of the big things that they could do is write a jingle in like 24 hours and my mother could record. Wow. But we were in the studio all night. And, you know, it was just great to see that process. And one of the jingles, they did one for Hudipole Beard. I remember my mother had to go and do one that was soulful. Now let's do one that's pop. And she was able to even change her voice. And then my, uh, now here I am like a little girl and I'm in there singing like, have a beautiful today. You know, and I'm like, what? My mom's like, you're not to sing that outside of this studio. I was like, oh, okay, mom. I'm thinking it's a song, not knowing it's a jingle. Um, but I remember uh, the heart of it all. They did a, they got the account to do uh, tourism for Ohio. And it's really cool how this came full circle. I'm this little girl. They're doing the Ohio tourism campaign. It's called The Heart of It All. Mm-hmm. And they're writing a song for it. And my mother is the singer. And then they bring in Jane Kennedy as the, as the face of it. Mm-hmm. So it's that's kind of like the deep roots of my music from the process, production, to promotion, to concerts, to, you know, her being booked to, you know, be on different shows. I kind of like grew up with that. Um, I remember the OJs, they were called, I think, the mascots back then. They had recorded uh, at King Records, and I remember the OJs coming and my dad talking right to them. It's like, you know, no real big deal. And people would just stop me like, are you Steve's daughter? I played with, you know, behind your mother. I did, I was on her album or, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, that's a side that people probably don't really know as much about my family, uh, how deep we are in music and how deep we are also in sports. And then, of course, you know, we've got uh, politics and the public policy side. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. I think oh. I told you more than anyone as well as <laughs> that that story. Yeah. We got an exclusive. <laughs> That's awesome. Just reading about your father's program was very inspiring um, to me personally. Uh, but I guess I'm wondering, like, how did how did it inspire you to to be you and do what you do? I think just the journey, um, the authenticity of the journey for me you know my my mother's mom she you know had seventh grade education that was it um she did what they call day's work where you clean rich people's houses and she always said I'm doing this you never will have to and then when you think about I'm less than you know a mile away now as a president of the board of county commissioners it would be unthinkable from coming from that lineage. Uh, when I used to stay at my grandma's house, which I spent a lot of time there, you know, we had an incinerator. That's where we took the trash. Uh, 
we go to the Regal for the hot dogs. They used to see me. I would come in. The guy said, go on out. She's getting to, you know, my grandma said, if I clean up, she'll give you some money to go get some hot dogs at the Regal. Um, swimming, you know, learning how to swim at the at the uh, Lincoln Center. I was thrown in the swimming pool. That was my swim <laughs> lesson. You that's know? how everybody <laughs> That was my swim <laughs> lesson. Maybe that's why I'm not that great at it now, but I know how to survive to get across. But just that keeps me grounded and never forgetting where I came from and understanding that that struggle still continues. So for me, it's hard to tell me what I can't do because I've, I've, you know, I've come from the bottom, you know, and at the same time, I know a lot of people who have dreams have done great things, have great stories to tell. And the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame, I think where the influence of my mother comes from is really that my mother passed away at 57 from breast cancer. And I remember going to her last, uh, there was a concert at our church. And my mother also had multiple sclerosis. She had fought it for 12 years. And I remember we had a, um, a concert at the church and my mother was saying that the MS had kind of affected her vocals. So she didn't necessarily want to, you know, sing because she has a reputation. And I almost didn't go to the concert. I had something else to do. And I said, ah, let me stop by there. And I did. And um, my pastor asked her to come and sing. And I thought she would decline. She didn't decline. And she went up and she sang from the wheelchair. And it was... I think one of the strongest vocal performances that my mother has ever done. I would later find that my mother would pass away a month later. And that was her last uh, public thing that she had done. And it really um, made me understand that the reason why the Society Black Music Walk of Fame is so important is because we can't let the stories die when we die. And so this provides a permanent fixture, a permanent location, a permanent uh, monument that's tourism driven that these stories would live for forever. And I can't take these stories and these experiences with me. It needs to, it belongs to the people and maybe can encourage the next generation. At the same time, it also reminds me that uh, Tomorrow is not promised. And so that's why I moved so quickly. What people probably will not realize is that I had just got elected to the county commission. Now, I've had, I got experience because I've been the vice mayor, I've been a state representative, and I've been the deputy director of tourism for the state of Ohio. But I had just gotten elected after a pandemic, and I got, I got in office January 2nd. I was pushing for this 513 relief bus, which everybody knows now, but it was a tough thing to push for because it was a new concept. And I introduced this idea in April of 2021, April 26th to be exact, day after my birthday. And how it came about, I always had this idea because as uh, the deputy director of tourism, I had to promote the whole state, all 88 counties. And so that meant I had to promote the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I remember having our kickoff at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I had to go back to the OJs because I created this campaign called Living for the Weekend, and I wanted to use their song. So I had to get the rights to their song, and then I booked them to do the kickoff. But what I found, I kept saying what's missing is the contributions of black artists, musicians, songwriters, who are from Southwest Ohio. So we had the Rock Hall that was kind of, you know, up north, that's in Cleveland. But down south, we had made such a tremendous impact uh, on music throughout the world. And maybe some of these uh, artists, people may not even realize that they're sampling their songs or those kind of things. Or these artists had to go to other places and get recognized. They got Grammys, they got other Hall of Fames, but nothing in their hometown. And so I had the idea, did not know when or where I would implement it, but it was years ago. But when I got 
uh, I went to a press conference with Otis Williams of the Charms, who recorded on King Records. And he was standing with his walker, and we were across the street from the Andrew Brady uh, Music Center, but it was called Andrew Brady Icon. It was called the Icon. Um, and it was about to open, and he pointed over there. And there was an empty lot with just rocks next to it. And, of course, both of these things are across the street from the uh, what is now called Paycor Stadium, our NFL Bengals Stadium. He pointed over there, and he said, Alicia, or let me say how he said, Lisa, how can we be included? And I said, included? What are you talking about? And he pointed over there, and the tear came down. And I'm a person that I move by faith. My faith is critical. And I'm all about, especially after my mother passed, I'm all about what is my assignment? What's my purpose? God, what do you want me to do? And so when I saw that, I knew I needed to move then. I said, okay, God, but I got this 513 relief bus I'm trying to get off the ground. Are you sure? But the tear and the look at him that he was 80 years old, he was on a walker, I have to move now. I could not have lived with myself if I had not moved and say something had happened to him. So I ended up running, having my staff to run to Kinko's, and all I had was a flyer that I made up. And I didn't know if anybody would show up, but we had a diverse group of people, stakeholders, community leaders, and Lincoln Ware had been saying, we need something permanent. We had we have murals, nothing wrong with those. But murals, they got to get repainted or they get painted over. We need something permanent for black music. And I just thought, okay, so I went over there. I had this press conference, stepped out on faith, nothing but rocks. And I had this vision of a Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame. And so called that I called for it. I said, we need it. We could take this lot that's just nothing but rocks and turn it into a Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame. Mm -hmm. We can bring black and white together. We've got Andrew Brady, who's a Caucasian music teacher, I'm told, from the 1930s. But the missing link was the black music component. Let's bring it together. Now we got the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame. We got the Andrew Music Center. We now have a music corridor on the Ohio banks that no one else has. And so that's kind of how the idea came about. And I moved forward uh, with all the steps that it's going to take to try to pull this off. And on July 1st, uh, we were able to get, uh, I want to thank my colleagues, uh, my commission board voted for this unanimously. But after the vote, again, it's never existed. So we now have to create a blueprint. And I think one of the things that helped me was that I had the music background authentically mm -hmm. we brought in of course a researcher but they you know it's like um when you make an album you know they don't have the flavor i mean they got the research now we got to put the flavor to it so the flavor was the stories um and then we uh i wanted it to be interactive i wanted it to be you know they called me and they said what is it that you want what are you looking for and i told them bring me disney world um, I had read, my father made me read the autobiography of Walt Disney as a teenager. And I was like, oh, what do you got me reading this for? Everybody else is having fun. I got to read books. But it was important. That's why it's important to read these books because these stories, you never know where you're going to have to pull from. You might have to pull from something that you've read, you know, book you read in the library. It might not hit you right now, but it may hit you down the road. Like, I read that. Oh, this is how I handle this. But the thing that that book taught me was how to dream beyond your circumstances, how to make something out of nothing. And it's going to be hard. It's, people are going to think you're crazy, maybe. But if you believe and you work toward it, they'll see it. And it also taught me that everyone doesn't get the vision. I mean, that's a gift. So I kind of pulled from that. And I said, wow. He took a swamp and made Disney World. Everybody thought that was crazy. People weren't running to Orlando. There was no Mickey and Minnie to get excited about. And I said, well, if he could do the swamp, I could take these rocks. And these rocks can become the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame. 
And so that's why I pulled from everything that I learned, everything that I read, everything that I experienced, Mm -hmm. and kind of put it into what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew it had to be a tourism attraction. People from around the world, because these artists have impacted music all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it has to be something that's going to get people to come from around the world. But we had limited space. We only got it half an acre. How do you take this half an acre and and, um, expand the footprint? And so we expand the footprint through technology. And so they kept saying, you keep saying interactive. What are you talking about? I was like, no, I'm not talking about you can come and you can hit a symbol and everything. That's not, I'm talking about tech. Now I'm talking about augmented reality. I'm talking about performing with Bootsy Collins and bringing Catfish, his brother, who is deceased, back alive through this uh, process. I'm talking about Penny Ford, who's performing I Got the Power all over the world. She's all over the world in stadiums uh, and, and packing out stadiums. How do we bring that back home? through augmented reality. You could dance with her. You could be on the stage with her. Um, How do you have where people can sing and sing the words and then bring in, you know, of course I call it the art behind it, visual art behind it, and it's motion. And um, grandma, I want some of grandma and the grandkids can all enjoy. Grandma can say, oh yeah, I remember these songs. And the grandkids can learn about different songs by dancing and having a great time. You're learning, but you're having fun. And I call it edutainment. And uh, you're going to be entertained and get educated, maybe by accident. But um, it's experiential. So I learned that in tourism. It has to be experiential. So I took all those pieces, and I wanted it to be the best for the people. And I wanted it to be free. I want It's open. It's not exclusionary it's inclusionary where everyone can come at no cost and participate and learn and it has to be high quality so that's kind of you know how this really if you will came about uh but i look at it like if i was you know if you're producing uh, an album that's mm-hmm. we got to put all these pieces together um to get a hit record and i think that the Cincinnati black music walk of fame is is going to be award-winning and I feel great when I hear people say, we did it, because that's what it's about. It's the we. I was going to ask you about, you've only left Cincinnati once to go to college, mm-hmm. but I was wondering, what made you come back? <laughs> yeah, and I've traveled. I'm just saying I've only lived uh, away for college. Well, I chose to go away to college. I wanted to go to the South. Um I, you know, read a lot about Dr. King and the South and everything. And I said to my parents, I was going to Brown University. I'd gotten accepted, had a scholarship to the Ivy League school. The last minute I said, I want to go to a historically black college and university. And my parents was like, that's good, but you waited to the last second. We'd like to know why. And I said, because I want to go to a place that would train me to be a majority thinker in what the world will see as a minority body. So people see me as a minority, but mentally I don't feel, I want to make sure I understand how to navigate because I people will see me as a minority. So there will be obstacles. There's no such thing as uh, I think I'm you know, equal. Well, I do, but there's a lot of people who don't. And I would say that honestly, Grambling taught me, I learned a lot at Gramlin State. I became Miss Gramlin State University. I played basketball on championship team. I launched my own radio show on a radio station that had 50,000 watts in three states, states, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi. It taught me how to take little resources and, and be able to still get your idea done. It taught me that even though you think your, your ideas are or mainstream, the world will not think that. So how do you navigate that? Uh, people will always tell you what you're not, uh, but you're going to have to get up and look yourself in the mirror and tell people who you are. Uh, you're going to have to feel what you do is great before others will accept that what you did is great. Mm-hmm. I think all of those things, I wanted to go there because I wanted to have a boot camp for life. 
And so that helped me with projects like this. You know, uh, this project, it took a lot because there's never been an African-American woman develop anything on the, on the banks. We're talking about prime real estate. We're talking about on the Ohio River. We're talking about uh, between two a uh, major league baseball stadium and a and a, a NFL football stadium. So you got to dig deep. You got to research. Okay, first thing I did, I told one of my staff to come here and to get to the library and bring me the book about Black Cincinnati, and it pulled that book up, and I was able to learn. I said, I want you to read where we came from. I learned about Bucktown. That's part of the reason why we're coming back to this particular spot. Uh, the fact that we African-American slaves came and lived there. My ancestors lived there. They were, it was okay because it was in a floodplain. It was considered not prime property. But when they figured out how we can build garages and on top of the garage, then you build the, the stadiums and other things, it's no longer in a floodplain, and now it's very valuable property. We were run out of Bucktown. And then run to the west, uh, ran into the West End, and then of course ran out of the West End. But if you don't know that history, we couldn't have started this project. This project, as I told my staff, we got to, we have to know the history. And so coming back here, we're on sacred ground, and at the same time, uh, we have something that is going to be uh, a tourism attraction that everybody could come to. So the reason I came back home, I never intended to uh, move forever. I intended to just go to a boot camp that would prepare me. And just like a boot camp, you know, your, your time is up. You graduated. And um, now you've got the tools. Now you got to come back and apply those tools. So I came back to Cincinnati uh, to really apply those tools. I never intended to run for office. I was interested. I always tell people I was on my Oprah <laughs> dreams. I was going to uh, have my own media company, but like Oprah ended up doing, but um, God had a different calling for me. And uh, when they were going to close the health clinics in Cincinnati at that time, I said, something has to be done. I called Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Didn't think she'll ever call me back. She called me back. And I told her the situation. I said, something has to be done. She said, yeah, and you're the person that needs to do something. I'm like, I, I am? <laughs> and um, at 27, 28 years old, I ended up running for city council and really opened the doors for now young people. Because back then it was like, this is before President Obama. Young people were not interested in politics. And people that looked like me, all of them, were moving out of town and not coming back. They said, there's no place for someone that looks like us to be progressive. We got to go to Atlanta. We got to go to New York. We got to go to California. And I was determined to prove them wrong. So I don't know. Maybe I was crazy. <laughs> but I was determined to prove them wrong. And that's kind of how my journey came about here. Uh, but I'm so thankful to be able to apply those tools that I received at the boot camp, what I call college, at Grambling State University, and that is in the fabric of the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame. I noticed a lot of the work is on the east side, Avondale, mm -hmm. Evanston, et cetera. How did y'all end up in Westwood? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, most people think I grew up in Bond Hill because my parents had a, um, a building. They went uh, back to the neighborhood and, and had a, a building with a banquet hall they built and multi-use building that they invested in but you know I think we ended up on the west side because of my mother one thing about my mother she never let boundaries she would drive through different neighborhoods um both in the city and out the city she would always drive my mother was a dreamer and she would drive and then my dad was like what are you doing out there and he kind of followed her and so Westwood at that time they didn't have hardly any African-Americans. And she liked this complex that she liked. And she took them out there. And my dad said, okay, well, if you like it, we'll do it. Um, but, you know, growing up there, there were some tough times because it wasn't diverse like it is now. And, you know, we were like, I mean, one of three black families in the, in the whole complex. So we would have, you know, uh, 
different things people would try to do to our porch. Uh, when I went to elementary school was when I learned the N-word because they were calling me that. I didn't know. I would go home and say, Mom, why did you give me a hard name? She's like, a hard name? I said, yeah, they can't say my name. She said, they can't. I said, yeah, I keep telling them my name's Alicia. And she said, well, what are they calling you? And I had no idea, so I said that word to her. Like, they keep calling me that, but I told them it's Alicia, but it's too hard to say it. Why did you give me a hard name? So she marched me back up to the school, and um, the teacher felt that maybe I should go to a more integrated school program. So I ended up at Mount Airy Elementary, and they had a Spanish program uh, for the first time. Spanish, I think it was Spanish. They had German and so forth. It was called their bilingual program they had just started. So I'm the first class that came through this bilingual program. And so that's how I ended up at Withrow because I lived on the west side, but Withrow had the International Studies Academy. And so I that's how I ended up going there and uh, becoming a third-year generation Withrow Tiger. Yeah. I was going to lead into that, too, because I was like, that's the other side of town. Yeah, the east and the west never cross. And it was so funny because people, when I had a slumber party, people would be like, what is it like? What are the west side people like? And they're like, what are the east side people? And I'm like, they're the same. We all, we, we're all the same. Our, our moms still get on our cases, you know. So it was like I had the coolest slumber party because I had this integration of the east and the west coming together <laughs> <laughs> what what was the elementary school that you went to i went westwood? to westwood elementary so right across from the westwood library yes and my first library so my first library experience was my grandmother she would take me to the west end library because even though she only had a seventh grade education she felt like that's the future if i go in there and read i might can't read but you go in here and you're gonna read so she would take uh, me and my cousin, and we would go to, we had to go to the library. And then if we cleaned up after the library, cleaned the house, she let us go to the Regal and get a hot dog. That was our, but we always have to stop and get her some church's chicken on the way too. <laughs> so, you know, all this was walkable, you know, distance. She um, lived at 1082 Lynn Street. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And then Westwood uh, my mother would to keep it up. I got my first library card at the Westwood Library, and actually, my father took me in. We're gonna get your library card. It was like this huge deal. Like I'm gonna have my library card, and she showed me how to put it. I had a little wallet, you know, and she showed me where to put it. Don't lose your library card. Put it right here. So, um, so I had a great experience. And even though I didn't go to Westwood Elementary, it was a great experience. I, I learned how to play basketball on the basketball court. My father would take me out there every morning at 5 a.m. I went to the library across the street. So I had a, a great um, experience in, in Westwood. I was going to ask also, New Friendship Baptist Church, that was originally in the West Stand as well, wasn't it? Or no? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Um, Beulah Baptist, which okay. was across the street from us. And the, the funniest story, my grandmother, she sang in a church choir along with my mother. My mother, in fact, I just ran into someone who was in the youth choir with my mother, and they were telling me how she just tore the place down and singing <laughs> and everything. And my grandmother's in a senior choir at Southern, so they had a bus that would pick you up in the West End. And one morning, my grandmother overslept, and me and my cousin were like, shh, don't, Grandma go oversleep. We, we won't have to go to church. Let's be real quiet. <laughs> so she did oversleep, and she got up. We was like, whoo, you missed the bus, Grandma. I don't know. I mean, it's gone, you know. And she's like, <laughs> oh, don't worry, we're just going to go to Beulah Baptist across the street. We're like, oh, man, <laughs> we had never missed church. Uh, but uh, as I came back from college, which um, I was baptized uh, when I got to college. I went to church all the time, but I got baptized in Louisiana. When I came back home, I joined New Friendship with my family, New Friendship Baptist Church, and we had you know, one of the most amazing choirs. I mean, we've got some big-time folks that came out of there uh my mother was in a choir but then you have people like pn everson price uh, just unbelievable princess hearn uh the hearn sisters so they were very people would always come because we had a great outstanding choir that could really really sing mm -hmm. and so again music was there um i was in part of a super choir people would ask me you know can you sing your mother sing I took after my father. 
<laughs> I have a voice that you would think I could sing. I I sound great, you know, in the home, in the shower. I don't know where things drop off from there. Um, but I, my mother would say that she thought I had something in me, but because my mother was such a great singer, I didn't want to embarrass her. So I didn't like pursue it or anything like that. But yeah, I don't, so people ask me, can you, no, I can't sing. No, I mean, I'll pretend to sing, but I, I know I cannot. <laughs> I can't sing. I can't hit these high notes. In my mind, I can, but it just, it doesn't quite come out that way. So I took after my father and, um, but yeah, I, I always around music always. And that's why I knew like Dr. Charles Fold. I knew him. He's uh, deceased now, but I knew him because he was in the choir. Uh, he was directing. He was always around. It was like, wow. You know, I remember when they were saying he's getting a Grammy. And so all these things I kind of just kind of grew up around. I did try to go in one super choir once, uh, my mother wanted me to just accompany her there. And then, um, but when the director said, someone's off key and cut the music, we're going to go one by one and I will find out who it is. You're talking about super scared. Thank God, a lady two, right before they got to me, they called her off key. So I got off the hook. And after that, I've never joined any more super choirs in my life. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. I thought I could just, you know, blend in. You know? No, these choir directors are serious about notes. They got some ears. <laughs> right. right. Gotcha. So it sounds, so a bus would take your grandmother and y'all from West End up to Avondale. To Avondale, to yeah. All right. Gotcha. Um, so back to the Black Music Walk of Fame. Can you talk about this year's four inductees? Yeah, so really excited. This is our third class of inductees. So our founding inductees are Otis Williams, it's uh, Bootsy Collins, the Isley Brothers, and Dr. Charles Fold. Then we had another induction ceremony in 22, and uh, we in, we took in High Tech, and I think it's really important because it's 50 years of hip-hop and all that he has done, uh, you know, producing with uh, Snoop Dogg and so many others. And um, we also have Penny Ford from last year and Midnight Star that was uh, also uh, last year inductees. And then, um, and Wilbert Longmire uh, from Jazz. So that was 2022. Uh, 2023 class uh, is amazing as well. We are going uh, with Louise Sharpshire, who um, is a civil rights composer. Uh, she's deceased now. But she is the original writer of what we now know as We Shall Overcome. And toward the end, she was trying to kind of get this out. And unfortunately, she passed away, but her grandkids are keeping that legacy. Uh, she was featured in Essence Magazine and finally got her due for her being the original writer of, of the, what we now know as We Shall Overcome. So we have to, you can't have a Black Music Walk of Fame without having her in it. And then we have, um, in addition to that, we have Felipe Wynn. Felipe Wynn is, was the, uh, one of the lead singers of the Spinners. Now, the Spinners this year will be going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, Felipe is uh, from Cincinnati, was born in Cincinnati. And an interesting life is uh, somewhat tragic because he was born here and he was in a orphanage, an African-American-owned orphanage by the AME Church. And, but both of his parents were alive. And his father wanted to, I guess, keep him. But in those days, being a single dad with a job, it was just not what they were, you know, allowing for back then. So he was in an orphanage, and uh, he has a very interesting life. He also has a, a boxing career. He went over to uh, Africa as the spinners to perform for the, um, I think it was, I don't know if it was a thriller in Manila, but one of the uh, Ali fights over there. Mm -hmm. And so him and Ali got to start sparring and everything. So it's just like really cool. Uh, but his soulful sound is unbelievable. But to pass away at, uh, I believe, 43 years young uh, while he's performing an encore, he did, his whole thing was always encore. So he would come out once and then give him an encore. He'd come out twice and give him an encore. This time he came out the third time and he um, 
passed out and he uh, he died while singing. So, uh, but Felipe Wynn has that soulful voice that I don't think has ever been um, attained by anyone. So we're excited to have him inducted. His sister, Annie T. Walker, mm -hmm. is a um, known uh, opera singer herself and had uh, performed overseas. And she's coming to accept the award on his behalf. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have um, The Deal, amazing group. Amazing group. In fact, uh, they're the ones that helped start Midnight Star, right? So the deal will be going in. Uh, the original, all the original members, uh, which also includes L.A. Reed and Babyface in this group, the deal. And it talks about L.A. Reed talks about how this sound when they formed LaFace Records, they used the deal sound on a lot of their artists, and they went on to, you know, record the Mariah Careys, the Rihannas. Uh, Tony Braxton's, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, but it all started with this group, The Deal. So they're going in, The Deal. And then we have uh, the godfather of soul, Mr. James Brown himself. We're going to do an honorary star because he, he wasn't born here. He didn't live here. But James Brown uh, spent a lot of time here in Cincinnati, as you know, uh, with the King Records. And when he came here, he fired his entire band and started a new band with a new sound. And it was from right here and discovering Bootsy Collins and so many others, Catfish. And, and so um, we believe that he deserves to, uh, that history deserved to be preserved in the Walk of Fame with a star. And his daughter, I don't think she's been here, uh, either she's never been here or she hasn't been here since he passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, his daughter, uh, who runs the foundation, uh, Dr. Deanna Brown, will be here to accept that award uh, on his behalf. So we're very excited uh, about this year's inductees. Now, we have a committee. Uh, the committee is chaired by Lincoln Ware. Uh, Lincoln's been in the music business uh, for 50 years. He's, I think, the most of anybody that's been on radio. And he broke in a lot of these songs, uh, a lot of these artists. And so we have a committee and they uh, select and this is how it came. Now people can also recommend people for them to consider and they can do that at uh, cincyblackmusicwalkoffame.org uh, and it has an application process. One of the things I think is real important and critical too is that this project, while the county um, we are funding the infrastructure, and we're able to get some uh, American uh, ARPA money, American Rescue money. We're able to put some of that replacement dollars toward this. But we also have private uh, partners. And i got to give a big shout-out to, to Damon Jones of Procter & Gamble because one of the things was that we couldn't, uh, we weren't going to use taxpayer money to pay for the stars and uh I said, wow, this is the last second, you know, I've got <laughs> um, less than 24 hours to find someone. And I took him down to the rocks <laughs> and I said, Damon, can't you see it? And he's looking like, I know he's looking like, let's see, what? What am I supposed to be saying? I was like, the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I thank God for him not to think I was crazy. He went along, you know, um, but uh, Proctor Gamble has come in and sponsored the stars uh, for now. The They did the first three years, and then I was able to get another three, so it'll be six years. And when you go to Hollywood, I'm understanding you have to pay, like, almost or have somebody fund you, I don't know, maybe $50,000 or more. Um, but there's some insane amount. I don't know what it is. But to be on there, it costs. Nashville, because we, we had someone research, uh, P&G also gave us somebody to research this. And then we went to Nashville, it's like $100 or $150 to even nominate someone. And then you have to agree that you're going to fund the star. <laughs> and these stars are like $10,000 a piece. Mm -hmm. So we had this, we tried to take the financial barrier out of it and then allow for us, you know, to make sure that we're having these people honored and not having to you know, pay for the star. And and then, of course, having it privately funded. Awesome. Of course, the Cincinnati Black Music Festival is coming up. We wanted to know what your dream lineup would be. Ooh. For this <laughs> year or just in the future? Just, you know, if you could 
Our dream lineup, mm -hmm. Beyonce, Usher, Mary J. Maze with Frankie Beverly's voice back. <laughs> I love Maze. Probably Jay-Z, I hate to say. Yeah, I would love to hear Jay. <laughs> I'd love to hear Jay-Z. Um, I think that would be probably my my dream lineup. Now, who would go first? Who would go last? I don't I don't know about all that. <laughs> I'll leave that to the to the pros, but um I think that would be I want something that's gonna make me dance. Uh, I think the big thing about the festival is that uh back in the day it used to be really a battle. I mean, these bands would battle. And I remember Midnight Star was on as well as the Gap Band. And my cousin, we used to have, you know, we were teenagers, we had our bets. He bet on the Gap Band. I said, no, Midnight Star going to tear it up. Midnight Star did. They tore the Gap Band down. And then there was a year where Aretha Franklin and Natalie Cole was on the same festival. Not the same night. And my mom was team Aretha. My dad was team Natalie Cole. And I think Aretha got her. So that's what I want the festival to really get back to, these battles, you know, where everybody brings their A game. And, you know, I think that makes it more fun, you know, when everybody's that man, they're going to, when they get off the, the stage, I mean, the smoke, they're going to have to, the smoke has, you know, come off the, the drums, you know. It's, <laughs> and I, I want to, I would love for the festival to, to get back to that kind of battle. But yeah, I would, I'd love to see Usher. I think Usher, I, I'd love to see Usher there. Beyonce, of course. Oh, I forgot one. Oh, this this will turn it out. Bruno Mars. I got that. <laughs> Bruno, I got that. Beyonce, Bruno, Usher. <laughs> I don't know if, it, if, if, I, if we Mary J and Fantasia, I don't think it would be anybody left. I don't think we'd have a big enough stadium for 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 that. <laughs> <laughs> Nor a budget. I don't think we'll have a big enough budget for it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for thank this opportunity you. today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. The Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame had its historic grand opening on Saturday, July 22nd, and is free and open to the public to enjoy at the Banks. The West End Stories Project Presents is brought to you by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and is produced by West End Branch Manager Kilani Parks and Genealogy and Local History Reference Coordinator Kent Mulcahy. If you like what you've heard, listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and help us get discovered by leaving a review. Thank you. Say hello to all your new friends.